Good morning. I want to start this morning by doing something that uh, I'm not sure if pastors should do. Oh, now you're nervous. I'm nervous too. It's okay. Um, I just want to recognize, I want to tell you guys something. Um, on Sundays, I've been preaching for a long time. Like, not, not many years, like I've done that, but like on Sundays. I've taken a lot of your time each week, going well above 40, sometimes over 45 minutes. And I've learned that that's not the most hospitable, welcoming thing to do. Um, so, I want to tell you guys I'm sorry. Um, not that we can, we can do that sometimes, but not every week. Um, we got lots of people here, and I want to be conscious of everybody's time and attention span. So this morning, I want you to know that I'm going to be doing, uh, I'm going to be sticking to my notes a little tighter than normal. I'm not going to be as free as normal because because I, I want to get back down to a reasonable time. I want to ask you uh, also to be gracious. I also just want to be open with everybody here. Um, this is not theater, this is church. And so we have a lot to cover this morning. And uh, I, I want to I teach you and I want to preach to you in a way that honors everybody here. Okay? Is that fair? All right, let's pray. Okay. Lord God, we thank you for who you are. Thank you for making yourself accessible to us in Jesus. We pray that right now um, we would see him and know him and love him. Now please help me to be clear and succinct. Help us all to pay attention and to learn and worship together in this time. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, we're in a study of John's Gospel. Today we're starting in verse 35. It's printed there in your worship guide. Let's read it together. Would you stand for the reading of God's Word? The next day, John was there again with his two disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. And when, and when the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following, and he asked, What do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went, and they saw where he was staying, and they spent that day with him. And it was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. And the first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, We have found the Messiah, that is, the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas which, when translated, is Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we found the one Moses wrote about in the law, and about whom the prophets also wrote, 
Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said, to him, said of him, Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus said, You believe because I told you that I saw you under the fig tree? You will see greater things than that. He then added, Very truly I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. This is the word of the Lord. Father in heaven, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our heart be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, you guys can be seated. Well, I hope that you can see that as we've been, like over the last few months, as we've been taking our slow hike through this first chapter of the Gospel of John, I hope that you can see that John's Gospel is not just a story about Jesus. It's also a story about mission. It's a story about Jesus, of course. It's a Gospel. That's what the Gospel is, the story about Jesus. But it's also a book about Gospel mission. A book about mission. It starts with the mission of God. It's a mission of the Holy Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit. The Father sends His Son into the world, who was anointed with the Holy Spirit, so the Son, Jesus, could give the Spirit to us, so we could join Him at the Father's side. You see it? The story of God the Trinity on mission to save the world. Mission of rescue. God comes to rescue us. The Father sends the Son who gives the Spirit so that by the Spirit we could have union with the Son be at the Father's side having been rescued. It's a, a mission book. Uh, but it doesn't just tell the story about God's mission. It also gives us uh, the story of how God invites us to join him in the mission. It's not just a, not just a Jesus story, it's a mission story. It's not just a mission story, it's a missionary story. Missionary story. It's about how God recruits us for his mission. The Son comes into our world as the Word. He is God's proclamation. He is God's message to us. Receiving him means believing him. It means becoming like him. It means that we, we become sons and daughters. But we also become messengers. We see this in John the Baptist. John the Baptist is the first Christian we meet in the book. He's sort of uh, the gospel writer's prototype for what the Christian life is supposed to look like. And for John the Baptist, believing in Jesus means Imaging Jesus. Believing in Jesus, the one who is God on mission, 
means acting like him, acting like a missionary. Jesus is the word, John is the voice, he speaks the word. Jesus is the light, John is the witness to the light, like the mirror that reflects the light to others. We've talked all around and about these concepts over the last months. A few weeks ago, we, we sort of named it by saying that to be a Christian is to be a, a missionary, or to be a disciple of Jesus is to be a disciple maker for Jesus. These things go together. There is no such thing as the Christian life that's separated from Christian mission. Just like there's no such thing as the Christian gospel, not separated from the mission of God. Mission and salvation go together. Now, since we've been talking about these things for the last few weeks, um, I know it's come up for me, and maybe it's come up for you, maybe it's come up in the car on the way home if you ride to church with somebody else. Now, this is a hard concept. And some of us struggle with this idea that to be a Christian is to be a missionary. To be a disciple is to be a disciple maker. And not all of us agree with this. Not all of us want to have it this way. There's good reasons for this. You look at the world, and you see the world where the, the, the magnitude of the need is just overwhelming. It's like there are just way too many people who don't know about Jesus. I just, I don't have what it takes to just, it's just so much to do. Uh, the, the, the level of opposition to Christian mission in the world is also overwhelming. Not everybody wants to know about Jesus. It's not necessarily culturally acceptable for us to go around and talk about Jesus in every place. And not so much where we live here, but in lots of places in the world, going around and talking openly about Jesus brings like legally sanctioned persecution. And then also, a lot of us, if you're like me, struggle with mission shame. Maybe some of us grew up in environments where there was so much emphasis and stress on who did you share your faith with this week? Who have you led to Christ recently? When was the last time you went on a mission trip? What are you going to do for God? That we feel like we could just, that there's something wrong with us. We can never be enough. We talked about that these are reasons why many of us just want to be a Christ follower, but we don't really want to be a disciple maker. One thing we didn't mention, that's very real, I wish we had talked about it, and, and I want to bring it up now, but I don't want us to get lost in it. It's sort of connected to the mission shame thing, but it's a little different. It's this. So many of us have uh, been in church, or in families, or in environments where the Christian leaders that we learned from were abusive, or they were narcissists, or they hurt us, and they hurt other people. 
And making disciples didn't mean making disciples of Jesus. It meant making disciples of some narcissistic, abusive leader. And we were told to go out and do things a certain way so that a certain leader could get glory. Or so that the church can grow for the sake of, not for the sake of the kingdom, but for some other ridiculous, self-centered reason. I know I've been in an environment like that once before. Many of us have. So many of us, we look at this idea that to be a Christian is to be a Christian missionary. And some of us say, I don't buy that. Some of us say, okay, I know that that's a thing, but I kind of wish it wasn't. And some of us say, yes, I believe that with all of my heart, but deep inside, deep inside, we just kind of wish it wasn't that way. And I want to say that um, very often in our tradition, when somebody expresses those things, they don't buy it, but the church is about disciple-making, or they buy it, but they wish it wasn't that way, or, yeah, that's great that it's that way, but I'm going to keep my skepticism private. Very often when we find out about those people in our midst, um, we join in the shame machine. We, we think, oh, well, they're, they're wrong. Or they must be bitter. Or they must be naive. Or they must not know. Or they must not, you know, fill in the blank. And you know, one of the things that I have learned that I'd like to share with you is that very often um, people who express the desire to just follow Jesus without the pressure or without the whole disciple-making machine thing being put on them, very often that desire um, comes from purity of heart. So often that desire comes from a heart of faith that really believes that Jesus is enough. That I don't need to go out and do something for him. And so often we tend to write those books are. I just want to say real quick, if that's you, if you struggle with the idea or you reject the idea that being a Christian and being a mission person, being a disciple and being a disciple maker, that they are together, if you say, I don't buy that, I want to say you're welcome in our church and your ideas are also welcome here. I recognize that this is hard. I think those of us that would sign on the line, yes, I want to be a disciple and disciple maker, and those of us that either would hesitantly or wouldn't, I really believe that all of us that are looking to Jesus with all of our hearts the best we know how, we long for the expansion of Christ's peaceful, good kingdom. And we want that to happen in a way that's pure, honest, without gimmicks, without uh, two-faced, even without even just salesmanship, without arrogance, without imperialism. Uh, we just want Christ's world to expand, the world of Christ's people to expand naturally. I'm convinced 
that three things are true. Since I've been following Jesus, there's three things that, regarding these issues that I believe are true. Here's the first one. I think that God wants every single person, every single person on the planet, God wants them to hear the good news that he came and become a human, became a human to save the world in Christ. Every single person, God wants them to hear that good news. I believe that with all of my heart. I also believe that God gives his Holy Spirit to every Christian so that we, like John the Baptist, can be voices that proclaim this truth. That God came into our world, Jesus Christ, in order to save us. God wants everyone to hear it, and God has given every Christian the Spirit to speak it. And I also believe this. There are a lot of people who call themselves Christians, or who may be Christians, who do this and go about this in ways that are not healthy. Coercion, gimmicks, abuse. And that stinks. So here's the question that today that our passage answers. What does healthy disciple-making look like? What does healthy, honest, holistic, real, organic, natural, Jesus-endorsed church growth look like? What does healthy missionary work look like? And we see it in our passage. And it's right at the beginning of John's Gospel. And I believe that's on purpose. So here, here's what we have. As I check the clock. We'll go through four things quickly. Four things in this passage uh, that are the, uh, four characteristics of healthy, honest, real disciple-making. Things that every Christian can do. Here's the first one. Healthy disciple-making is practiced by people who have their own dynamic relationship with Jesus. In case you're writing it down, I'll say it again. Healthy disciple-making is practiced by people who have their own dynamic relationship with Jesus. I'll say it in a different way. You're not a disciple-maker unless you're a disciple yourself. We see this in John the Baptist. This whole thing, this whole passage is about disciples being made. It starts with John the Baptist. You know, he says, look, there he is, the Lamb of God. And then it says two of his disciples go leave him and they start following Jesus. John's the first Christian we meet in the book. But when we meet him, we can't really call him a Christ follower. He's, because he's a Christ forerunner, right? He's the one who, the prophet who came to prepare the way for Christ. And then in last week's passage, uh, we heard John saying, he points to Jesus and he says, there he is. Well, that's the Lamb of God. And then he says, I didn't know it was him. I didn't know it was him, but then I saw the Spirit come and rest upon him. And then I knew it was him. So now I have seen and now I testify that that man, Jesus, is God's chosen one. Last week we talked about how significant that is. John the Baptist knew the man, Jesus, before. 
there's evidence here that Jesus was walking around with one of his company. They were cousins. Maybe they saw each other at the, at like the kickball game or something. Who knows? He knew Jesus as a, a, a human being, but he did not know Jesus as the God-man, as the Savior, as the Lamb of God, until he experienced seeing the Holy Spirit come down on Jesus at the baptism. At that moment, John the Baptist went through a kind of conversion. That's the before and after. We see in that that John the Baptist's relationship with God in Jesus Christ is growing. It's living. It's dynamic. And it's out of that place that he says the second time, Look, the Lamb of God. And in that moment, two of his disciples go, Oh, well, we're going to leave you and we're going to follow him. Disciples of Jesus are made by John the Baptist. His personal dynamic, that means like it's living, it's moving, it's growing. His personal dynamic relationship with Jesus fed his personal witness. That's so important. Incredibly important. Friends, I am convinced that so many of the abuses of Christian mission that we see in the church that many of us have experienced. I'm talking about the whole, like, from narcissistic, abusive pastors to manipulative witnessing, like, you memorize the, con the conversation, and if they say this, then you say this, if they say this, you say this. All, all that stuff. I, I really believe that so, many, so much unhealthy missional practice comes from leaders and thinkers who actually don't have living, dynamic relationships with Jesus themselves. I believe that. In the book of Galatians, it talks about these things called the fruits of the Spirit. The fruits of the Spirit are what happens in somebody's life when the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ, lives with them. Fruits of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. What that means is if somebody knows Jesus, if they have a living relationship with Jesus, then love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control naturally grows within them. So if there is a Christian leader who is teaching you how to do mission in a way that's not loving, in a way that's not self-controlled, in a way that's not gentle, in a way that's not peaceful, then we should ask, are they teaching us out of their relationship with the Spirit of Christ? Folks, healthy disciple-making starts with people who have healthy relationships with Jesus. Do you have a relationship with Jesus? Do you know him? Are you growing in your knowledge of him? Well, then it sets you up to make disciples. Here's the second thing. Healthy disciple-making happens relationally. Healthy disciple-making happens relationally. In the story, there's like three different spheres of where disciple-making happens. First is in an organized ministry context. John the Baptist in front of his disciples says, look, the Lamb of God. Two of his disciples say, peace, we're transferring our membership out of your group to his group. He says, that's awesome. 
So there's an organized ministry sphere. Then there's this family thing. One of those two disciples is Andrew, and he goes and he finds his big brother Peter. He brings Peter to Jesus, and he says, look, I'm pretty sure we found the Messiah. Jesus you know, speaks, he says he looks at Peter and he sees him, and then he says, you will be called, well, his name is Simon, you will be called Peter, which means rock, right? So there's like a family thing. And then there's later this friend thing. This guy, Philip, who's now following Jesus, goes to his friend, who's from the same region, Nathaniel, and he's like, look, uh, I'm pretty sure this is the guy Moses wrote about. Uh, you got to meet him. And then Jesus comes up and says the thing about the fig tree. Nobody knows what Jesus is talking about, but whatever it was, it spoke directly to Nathaniel's heart. Nathaniel after that was like, you're the son of God. Right? So there's this organized ministry, there's family, and then there's friends. What do organized ministries, families, and friends have in common? Places where relationships happen. And notice that each of these transfers of information, look, this is Jesus, you got to know him, and then the person's like, okay, I'll follow. Each of these disciple-making moments happen in these three spheres, but they all happen relationally. It doesn't say that John the Baptist says, look, the Lamb of God to the crowd, and then two random people from the crowd started to, no, it says two of his disciples, two people he knew. It doesn't say that Andrew walked up to some random dude. No, it says he went to his brother, Simon. It doesn't say that Philip went to some random dude. It says that he went to the guy who was from his same town. Here's why this is important. I think some of us tend to think that discipleship only happens here at church. And we don't, this is where we make disciples. I'm not worried about doing it in my friend group. I really don't want to do it at home. Guess what? Do you have relationships in your friend group? Do you have relationships at home? That means anywhere you have relationships, that's where disciples are made. You're going to be making disciples of somebody and of something in every relationship that you have. The question is, are those relationships, are you making disciples of Jesus? Some of us might say, look, I'm not a pastor. I don't lead ministries. Some of us, some of us aren't allowed to be pastors. I, I could never do that. Some of us, I'm not allowed to do that. You think, how can I ever be on Christian mission? How can I ever do this? Folks, there are places that you can go that I, as an ordained minister, cannot go. Parents, you have access to your kids in a way that I don't have access, that your friends don't have access. Disciple-making happens in relationships, and relationships are everywhere. So that's the other thing. Here's, here's next. Here's what's next. Uh, healthy disciple-making involves using one's own words and one's own beliefs about Jesus to communicate. Healthy disciple-making begins using one's own words and one's own beliefs about Jesus to communicate. Notice that John the Baptist says, the Lamb of God, right? And then Andrew, who got the information from John the Baptist, he goes to Simon Peter. What does he say? Does he say, the Lamb of God? No. He says, I think we found the Messiah. Different words. Where did he come to that conclusion? Well, he learned from John the Baptist, but also he had just spent all afternoon following Jesus, forming his own thoughts and his own opinions about him. 
And then later, Philip tells his friend, I think we found the one Moses talked about. Well, that language wasn't used by Andrew and wasn't used by John the Baptist. Where did he get that information? I don't know. He learned it by following Jesus all day. Putting together pieces from his own story and watching Jesus put it all together. Here's the point. None of these guys repeated word for word what John the Baptist, the great preacher, said. They spoke from their own experience. Their own. Jesus is a person. He is a human being. Now, people in our lives, we don't all know the people in our lives the same way. I know Jesse, but the way I know Jesse is not the same way Mary knows Jesse. It's not the same way Alexis knows Jesse, or Becca knows Jesse. We all know him differently. So be yourself. Somebody might say, well, what if I get something wrong? I'm not theologically trained. What if I, what if I say something wrong about Jesus? What if, what if I, you know, we've been talking about this high theology about the Trinity and all this. What if, what if I get it wrong? Well, hold on to that. We'll come back to it here in a second. Um, fourth thing, healthy disciple making, and this is related, encourages people, the hearers, to get to know Jesus for themselves. So we speak for ourselves, but also we want the hearers to hear for themselves. I love this thing about Nathaniel. Philip's like, we found the guy Moses wrote about. Nathaniel's like, uh, nothing good comes from Nazareth. What does Philip do? Does Philip say, hey man, look, you're wrong about Nazareth. I'm going to tell you why. Does he say, here's five reasons that Nazareth is awesome? No. Does he say, here's a book you should read about Nazareth because it'll, no. Does he say, well, I'll tell you what, let me mentor you until you change your attitude and then I'll show you the good stuff? No. What does he say? He says, come and see for yourself. And then what happens when Nathaniel comes and sees? Jesus speaks to the secrets of his heart. Does anyone else know what Jesus is talking about when he says, I saw you under the fig tree? Nope. Just him. When we introduce people to Christ, look, discipleship doesn't go like this. It doesn't go like this. I'm Pastor Charlie. I talk to Jesus, and I'll tell you what, I'll talk to him, and then I'm going to come over here, but you talk to me. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't go like this. I'll tell you, I'm going to learn from him, and I'm going to become like him, but then you become like me. No, it doesn't work that way. It doesn't work like this. Jesus is my boss. And now I am your boss. No. Discipleship works like this. I'm broken, but I'm pretty sure I found the Messiah. Do you want to go with me? Let's go together. And then when we go to him, guess what? He says things to you that he might not say to me and that I might not understand. And that's awesome. Here's the last thing. Healthy disciple making happens when we leave the results up to Jesus. Healthy disciple making happens when we leave the results up to Jesus. Notice that John the Baptist um, 
Notice that John the Baptist says, the Lamb of God, and Andrew and the unnamed person, who maybe is the person who wrote this. They start following Jesus. Their front row seat to his life all afternoon. Did John the Baptist give these two guys a front row seat to Jesus' life all afternoon? No. Jesus did. Notice that it's not that Andrew goes to Peter and he's like, I think we found the Messiah. Come, come on, you gotta, you got to meet him. And then, is it Andrew that looks at Peter, sees him, gives him a new name and a purpose? No. It's Jesus who does that. Notice that Philip goes to his high school buddy or whatever, Nathaniel. He's like, look, we found the guy Moses talked about. Is it Philip who speaks to the secrets of Nathaniel's heart, who draws out this beautiful confession of faith? No, it's Jesus. When we do discipleship or share our faith, which is called evangelism, it's not on us to bring out results. In fact, I don't even like the phrase making disciples that much because we can't make people disciples. Jesus makes disciples. We just tell people, hey, look at Jesus, let's go. Leave the results up to him. Now back to the what if I'm wrong thing. What if I say something wrong about Jesus? What if I get my theology wrong? What if I, if I get my trinity wrong? You know what? If you have a relationship with Christ yourself, if you're using your own words in the context of your relationships, people you know, if you're pointing people to Christ and you want them to get to know him for themselves, Jesus can handle it if you get something wrong. It's okay. He's got it. All right. We're free. You are free. He doesn't need salesmen. He needs witnesses. Have you seen him? Do you know him? Are you able to communicate somehow? Do you know people? You're on a mission. 